welcome to the final Nerd Night podcast of 2015. I know you're going to miss us this year, but you know what? This year's over in a couple of days, so hooray, you get to see us in like a day or two. That's very exciting. Uh, today's presentation is going to be based on a presentation given in December of 2015, just a few weeks ago, by Benjamin Feldman. This presentation about scandals of the Roaring Twenties uh, takes a look at basically uh, some of the, no, I, I shouldn't say some of the, uh, basically one of the most controversial figures in New York high society. Uh, you're going to learn about a elderly creepy man who basically offered up his riches and luxurious lifestyle to teenage girls who wanted a way out of their poor situations. And yes, you can imagine where that goes from there. <laughs> um, obviously, we say here at Nerd Night that uh, Nerd Night is best experienced in the live environment at our live events, where you can have a couple of drinks with your friends and colleagues and family members while drinking along and listening to our wonderful presentations. Since this is in podcast form and you are probably by yourself, uh, we still encourage you to have a couple of drinks while listening. Just, uh, of course, the exceptions are that as if you are driving and listening to this or if you are underage in your respective area in where you are listening to this presentation. Uh, so with that, I'm going to pass it over to Benjamin Feldman, and we're going to learn about some New York high society scandals of the Roaring Twenties. You know, I was uh, the... Uh the introduction on the website talks about Trump, and that's from, I don't know how many weeks and weeks and weeks ago before that fascist pig started to show us what he's really about. Uh, the Trump part, substitute in, if you will, Rupert Murdoch maybe, or Sumner Redstone, or another guy who doesn't know how to keep his dick in his pants, even though he's like 85, 90 years old. I was going there with a the Trumpster, but y'all get the idea. And I want to, uh, I think yeah, it ought to be like a three-party siring of a baby. One part, Rupert Murdoch meets Michael Jackson, meets Sir Lancelot. And what you're looking at, is this uh, screen working? There we go. You're looking at Daddy Browning. I'm not going to tell you who the girl is yet. We'll get back to this slide. Edward West, Daddy Browning, <coughs> he called himself Daddy. It's Call Me Daddy. Uh, was born in 1874 on the Upper West Side, a scion of a 17th century New England clothing manufacturing company, stayed in business for a very, very long time in New York City, but he was a black sheep. Didn't go to Columbia College like his father did, went into the real estate business as a developer and an assembler both in Harlem and in Chelsea in the very end of the 19th century, on into the 20s, you go on to West 72nd Street today, it's West 73rd, 74th, you will see quite a number of skinny, high-rise, terracotta-clad, sliver buildings which have in the cartouche over the doorway EWB on it. This guy was in love with himself. He not only was a great at real estate development, he was great at making a fool of himself. And I will guarantee you that every single one of your well, it's a younger crowd. Your great-grandparents knew his name. It was a household world all across America. He had a penchant for young women. This is not the youngest one, okay? And back then, girls dressed up much uh, older than they actually were. 
Daddy Browning was first married at 41 years of age to Adele Lowen, 18 years younger than him, than he, uh, excuse me. And uh, he met her in church. He was probably her Sunday school teacher on a, at a church at 76 and Broadway. He rescued her, so to speak, in a Cinderella-like uh, situation and took her out of poverty. They moved into the penthouse at 35 West 81st Street. You can go to it today, an entire floor of a major building between Central Park West and Columbus Avenue. They actually had the rooftop also. The, the couple never had their uh, biologically owned children. I don't know uh, who uh, medically, uh, what was involved there, if anything. It's unclear to me that Daddy Browning ever had sex with a woman in his life. They ended up adopting two children. Uh, strangely enough, individually, Daddy Browning adopted one girl. They found these girls in the newspapers, three-year-olds, four-year-olds whose parents couldn't take care of them. Adele Lowen adopted one. Daddy Browning adopted another. Here's a picture of one of the children a few years later. This couple, I found these, uh, this photo in the couple's divorce file. I managed to get it out of uh, the basement of 60 Center Street. And they like, I mean, we're talking John Ramsey Binet here, okay? This couple liked to pose their children in these flapper, I don't know, hooker, whatever you want to call it. There's a whole bunch of pictures like this in the divorce file. Adele, 20, uh, 18 years younger than Daddy Browning, uh, didn't care for this fellow after a very short time. He was the boss. He was the big boss. He, he used women like some men buy furniture. You sit on the couch, you jump up on the couch, you use it till the legs break under it, it collapses, and you throw it in the trash. This was Daddy Browning. Adele got tired of him after several years. They were married in 1915. What does she do? She takes the low road. She took up with a family dentist who was 29 years old, her age. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is Charles Willen, a well-known frequenter of uh, gay social clubs downtown, a bisexual man. Uh, she had a long affair with, uh, with Dr. Willen, whose name was Wilinski, actually, another fact that was brought out in the papers, much to the chagrin of the Browning family. And um, they, they carried on for quite some time. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Adele contracted a very severe case of the clap from Dr. Willen. Here is one of the uh, uh, physician's uh, letter to Daddy Browning. She was in the hospital for nine weeks in Roosevelt, in a division of Roosevelt Hospital, being treated for the clap. Daddy Browning showed up there to get her discharge, etc. She swore she wouldn't do it again, and blah blah blah. Was released, and nature took its course. She started to see Charles Willen again, and they shacked up in this little townhouse on West 11th Street. Okay, and then took an ocean liner to Cherbourg and then on to Paris, tracked the whole way by gumshoes hired by Daddy Browning to see just what was going on. A divorce followed uh, in 1923, I believe, very bitter. Daddy Browning had not protected his very, very sizable assets very well, and he had to hand over quite a bit of money to Adele Lowen. This is all in the newspapers. The Daily News has a whole article about Dr. Willen and the gigolo from some nightclub down on Christopher Street. I don't know, it's, it's really, this is all over the place. And Daddy Browning is, is making all this happen in the tabloids. He takes a break 
and he turns to a different chapter in his life, okay? It is now, I think it's 1926, 25 or 26. Daddy Browning decides that he is going to become a philanthropist. And how is he going to express his philanthropy? He's going to, he, he gets the word out that he's going to sponsor high school sororities in New York City. He pays for the sweaters, he pays for the pins, he pays for the tea dances, tea means bathtub gin in the parlance of the time. There's one condition, he pays for the charter. There's one condition that he be invited, driving, being chauffeured down in his peacock blue Rolls Royce Phaeton, that he be invited to these tea dances. He was invited to one in the McAlpin Hotel, still there on 34th Street and Broadway, on the rooftop ballroom, held by Phi Lambda Taw. Well, Daddy Browning wasn't really good with, uh, with, uh, with uh, foreign language uh, orthography. PLT to Daddy Browning, he is quoted in the papers. He said it meant to me pretty little things. And he went upstairs to this dance and he met a girl who's actually a crasher. She wasn't a member of Phi Lambda Taw, a 15-year-old girl named, <coughs> excuse me, Frances Peaches Heenan. <coughs> Peaches Heenan was a sometime uh, student in an industrial high, sc high school downtown on 18th Street. She was truant much of the time. She was the daughter of a policeman who no longer lived with his ex-wife, Carolyn Heenan, on West 169th Street in a building that is still there. And uh, Peaches worked as a clerk in Bedell's department store. She met Daddy Browning. She danced with ba Daddy Browning. He started to chase her. He started to send his Rolls Royce up to Washington Heights each morning to get her to go back to school. And uh, Mrs. Heenan was quite glad to see this very wealthy, very well-known man who at that point was 52 years old courting <coughs> her 15-year-old daughter. Peaches had told her mom and dad that she wanted an acting career and they were not real pleased about that. And Daddy Browning was uh, gonna be the saving grace of this whole situation. This is a picture of Peaches with the bee stung lips. Check those out on the left there. And you can't see Mama there. I guess they didn't scale it right there at the Commodore Hotel, <coughs> which we know is the Grand Hyatt by Grand Central today. They're at a, a Charleston competition. Okay, can you imagine this old guy out on the floor doing the Charleston with Peaches? And in the back you have Mama, and she's got her hand on Daddy Browning's shoulder like, you touch my daughter, I'm going to, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But she went along with the whole thing. Now something very strange happened. Something very strange happened in March of 1926. Peaches was sleeping in her bedroom in Iris Gardens up on West 169th Street. Somebody pried open her bedroom window and somebody crawled through that window and splashed just a little bit of sulfuric acid on Peaches's chin and face. This is all in the newspapers, okay? The mother calls downtown, calls Daddy Browning right away at his office. He says, no, 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 no. Don't call the police, don't call the police. I'll take care of everything. Get her to my doctor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It'll all be fixed. He didn't want, he arranged the whole thing. He arranged the whole thing. He showed up the next day, a day or two later, and he proposed marriage to Peaches Heenan, okay? And this was the mother went along with it, the father went along with it. There was one little problem, though, <coughs> one little problem. Um, uh, 15 years old, 15 years old, that's a problem, okay? 
Um, the uh, part of the story I'll get to in a second, which actually precedes this chronologically, is that the commissioner of child welfare in New York knew all about Daddy Browning, and there was no way that he's gonna get a marriage license in uh, New York City. So he made other arrangements. Let me go back and tell you, though, about, about why, why the child welfare commissioner was on Daddy Browning's tail. This, after Daddy Browning was divorced from Adele Lowen, he put an ad in the paper. Each member of the couple got custody of their own adopted child. Daddy Browning had a seven-year-old girl on his hands, was running a real estate business, moved into the penthouse of one of his residential buildings, wasn't uh, too uh, good at the parenting skills. He put an ad in the Herald Tribune. This is the spring of 1925. Companion wanted. 16-year-old girl sought, live a life of luxury, move in, be adopted, become the older sister of my nine-year-old daughter. Daddy Browning received 12,000 letters from teenage girls, okay, into his office on West 72nd Street for a period of three months with flocks of reporters out on the street, right, 72nd and Broadway, right, where Papaya King is today, okay? Right next door is the building where his office was. I mean, you can go up there and, you know, lay flowers at the door if you want to. He interviewed hundreds of these girls, one by one, in his office with the door closed. And you see right here the winner. <coughs> this is Mary Louise Spas, spelled with two A's. She's a bohemian girl, Czech girl from Astoria. She came in, she sat down, she claimed to be 16 years old, she claimed to be an orphan, she claimed to have walked over the Queensboro Bridge because she didn't have the nickel car fare and she really needed salvation. Browning adopted her. Within a week, she was formally adopted in Queens County Surrogates Court, but <coughs> the newspaper reporters were hard on everybody's tail. They ran out there to 25th, what's now 25th Avenue, okay, and they started asking questions. They found uh, Mary Louise Spass's boyfriend, who was some barbershop Romeo there. They found her parents living together, the super and his wife, in the building. She wasn't an orphan, okay? She hadn't walked over the bridge. She had a little bit of money, and she hadn't seen 16 in five summers already, okay? So he went to court and he got the adoption annulled, and it was all morose, and you see his pictures in the papers, boo, hoo, 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 hoo. And that's why the child welfare commissioner was suspicious of this guy, okay? We shall go back now. Here we are, here we are. Peaches is gonna get married. What does Browning do? 15, you can't do it in New York City. He rents a house in Carmel, New York, okay? and moves Peaches and her mother into the house. This is being covered in the Post, in the Daily News, in all the tabloids. Only the Times refused to cover this every day, but he's, it was covered in the Times. And he rents this house, he moves them in, legal residency is established. On April 10th of 1926, this 52-year-old man marries this 15-year-old girl and they honeymoon at a hotel in uh, Bronxville, and then they, they then move into the Kew Gardens Hotel, which is out Kew Gardens, oh, let's see, Queens Boulevard and Union Turnpike now, a famous resort for mobsters, gamblers, bootleggers, whatever. Peaches and her mother 
and Daddy Browning and Daddy Browning's adopted daughter from his first marriage all move into a suite of rooms there. Daddy Browning is seen shopping with Peaches. He has his PR agents covering this whole thing. There's squads of photographers watching them drive into town in the Rolls Royce, shopping for finery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Browning's personality hasn't changed, okay? Hasn't changed. In six months, this is all over. One day when Daddy Browning is uh, off on a two-day business trip, Peaches and her mother are seen trooping out of the Kew Gardens Hotel to a series of waiting limousines, all of which are in the employ of Daddy Browning. Peaches is called and said, send some cars around. 21 trunks of finery are removed from the Kew Gardens Inn, and, and, and that is that. Daddy Browning had learned a lesson, though, by this time. Before he married Peaches, he put a lot of properties in other people's names. He protected things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He wasn't going to take any shit this time, okay? And instead of waiting for her to file a divorce action, he went to court and he filed an action for separation, so that a legal separation, so that he wouldn't have to pay her alimony, there wouldn't be a divorce, there wouldn't be any split of assets. They fought in court in Carmel, in White Plains, suing each other back and forth. Anybody here heard of the Scopes trial, 1925, the famous monkey trials? You've seen Inherit the Wind, maybe. You know that hundreds of reporters went down to little Eckveld, Dayton, Tennessee, okay, to cover that trial. The scene outside the Carmel courtroom was just the same. Damon Runyon himself went up to Carmel to cover this trial. I don't have time to quote his articles, but he, among other things, he calls Daddy Browning that gallus old codger sitting up there on the stand trying to uh, pretend that he's a dignified fellow. Peaches lost. She never, never was able to get divorced from Daddy Browning. He never made a settlement with her, and she stayed married to him until he died. <coughs> they didn't live together anymore. Peaches went on to quite a successful uh, vaudeville career in New York City for a couple of years. There were songs written uh, about her. This is something about a castle of stone and the Peaches and Browning song. She had uh, promo pictures taken. This is Peaches on the stage of a, of a Bronx uh, vaudeville house, I believe, in the hub. This is Peaches with her mother on a cruise to Bermuda in 1927. Uh, who wants to tell me which which woman in this picture is 16 years old and which one is probably 32? It's kind of hard to tell. But that's Peaches on the left there. That's a 16-year-old girl. That's how they dressed back then. <coughs> After that, Daddy Browning took a break. It's 1926 at this time. He decides to step back. And Daddy Browning took up uh, a career of uh, probably much more at least intentioned philanthropy. He tried to give a swimming pool to New York City for poor children to swim in. They wouldn't even talk to the guy, okay? I mean, this guy was notorious, okay? And he spent the rest of his years bodybuilding. He claimed to have a 48-inch waist, a, uh, excuse me, a 48-inch chest, a 25-inch waist, a natural food devotee, the sort of Vic Tanny, uh, you know, a thing like that, and tried and tried and tried to give away money, and nobody would touch his money. This guy was a wannabe, also a pervert. This is a picture of him, you know, he wasn't, but he wasn't a wannabe pervert. He was just a plain old pervert. 
This is a picture of Daddy Browning in his last office, a uh, uh, tower on 61st and Broadway that's still there. I think it's 1861 Broadway. A two-story office with a glass ceiling vault. What you're looking at is a dude, okay? He's looking at some of the million letters he received from young women all over the United States who wrote to him through the years seeking to be adopted, seeking donations, and he, you know, there he is on his knees like slobbering over these letters. I mean, this guy's really, really, really strange. <coughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, all of that health food and all of that exercise and all of that intended philanthropy didn't do him a lot of good, okay? Uh, in, I want to get the date exactly right. Yeah, June 22nd, 1934. Daddy Browning had a massive stroke in a hotel that he owned in New York City, and he rented this enormous mansion on Birchall Lane in Scarsdale. I've, I've been to Scarsdale, you know, driven through Scarsdale a lot of times, but it must have been through the, like, crummy areas, because there's this area of Scarsdale, which has, like, these mega, mega, ma I mean, there must be 30 rooms in this mansion, uh, and this is where he died. Uh, October 12th, 60 years old, surrounded by a bevy of rented nurses, rented doctors, rented attendants. Everything with Daddy Browning was rented. You know, he rented his pleasure. He just rented everything. And this was, this was covered and covered. He's buried in the Browning family plot, and I think the obelisk is really quite appropriate to his personality. This is it's actually, I have to be truthful here. I'm an historian, and I only, I only write nonfiction. This is the family plot. The obelisk is, is, is for the entire family, okay? It's at Greenwood Cemetery. You could probably walk up there tonight if you really got excited by this story. You know, lay, lay some place. When he died, there was a funeral uh, run by uh, Frank Campbell, okay? Famous, I mean, he's on Madison Avenue now. This is the society's funeral director. There were bevies of little girls in white dresses throwing orchid petals into his grave and doing a little dance as the Reverend uh, Stimson intoned the funeral cemetery. It's all covered in the newspapers. I'm not making it up. And, and that was the end of Daddy Browning. However, however, <coughs> it wasn't the end of Daddy Browning. In 1915, when he married Adele Lowen, he created a will and he, there were testamentary trusts in this will, you know, trusts that go on after you're dead. And he basically parked his entire estate in these trusts. Daddy Browning was an intellectual wannabe as well as a wannabe in all kinds of other ways. He was really fairly poorly educated, although a sharp guy. You know, Adele got cut out of everything. Peaches got cut out of everything. And he left in 1934 seven and a half million dollars, which in 1934, remember it's the pit of the depression, that's a lot of money. The trust is administered by seven trustees, okay, who are named in the document, who had no idea that they had been named the trustees. And it, it was sort of a Nobel Prize wannabe. There were prizes to be given out annually in seven fields of human endeavor by these seven trustees, who occluded among them, and they must have thrown up when they known that they had been named, Nicholas Murray Butler, the president of Columbia University, the chancellor of the City College, several very well-known physicians. The, all of them resigned virtually immediately. Okay, it's a fact. It's a fact. And the money was turned over to a trust company. It's depression. The real estate's driven into the ground. Uh, I used to work at Greenwood, and this is the conclusion here. 
Uh, we acquired a set of medals that Browning had fabricated to give to the prize winners. The prizes weren't given out finally until 1971 because Peaches litigated for 37 years over this and never really got any money. And this is one of Daddy Browning's uh, Nobel Prize medals that he had fabricated. That is the crazy story of Daddy Browning. I will tell you that I wrote a book about Daddy Browning. It's very skinny. I have a few copies if anybody's interested. There was no uh, speed dating here tonight, I gather, Matt. How unfortunate. Well, there's a lot of people on dates here, and some of them might even be first dates. And what I'm going to suggest, ladies, is that you buy a copy of this book that's called Call Me Daddy. <laughs> and, and, and just whip it out there on the second date and look at your fellow's face. And you'll find out more from the expression on his face than he'll tell you voluntarily. That's gross. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that is. When, when did Peaches die? Peaches married three more times. Um, you know, Hollywood producers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, died uh, from a slip and fall in her bathtub on Beekman Place, drunk as a skunk in 1956. Sad. It's not a bad way to go. And so, for <laughs> and for those, those medals that you just showed at the end, are uh, can they, are they displayed anywhere? Does anyone still have them? Where can we where where can we see them? You can't see them yet. We can see them on the Greenwood History Fund, uh, Historic Fund blog. They're in the Greenwood Archive, which is this huge archive of physical objects and papers, which is gradually being made available to the public. I'm sure interested researchers, whether it's uh, people on dates or whatever, could get in touch with the place there. But that's where they are. We bought them for five bucks off of eBay. <laughs> great, great second or third date location. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.